Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Dose of Dog presented by our friends at M Park here in Eau Claire and throughout the Chippewa Valley. Uh, we're here at M Park. The dogs are barking over our shoulders. We've got the, the dog groomers doing work through the windows. It's a very happy place here. A lot of happy puppies running around uh, Mbark uh, here in Eau Claire, right near uh, Memorial High School and the new Hy-Vee that is going up. Don't forget to check them out uh, all over social media and online. Uh, doggy uh, training, uh, doggy daycare, and, of course, Heather is with us with uh, just a cornucopia of information about dogs. Go back, listen to all the great episodes that we have. Of course, Heather, you are a dog trainer. And today you're going to do some dog training myth busting. And maybe, busting. Along, the way, maybe along the way, too, you may validate some things people mm. have thought as well. But you're going to bust some of the myths that we've had. And you've brought some of these things up indirectly in previous episodes. But you are going to really go at the bullseye <laughs> today, aren't you? We're going head in. We're heading in. <laughs> well, I know you've got a lot that you want to get to today. And we might not get to all of it on this episode, so it's a tease for maybe future ones. Yes, I, I feel like this could be a multi-episode uh, continuum. I feel like we could break this probably into three. <laughs> I mean, we could probably talk about this for ten episodes, but that might be very rather dull for people. Well, and I know, it's, <laughs> I know it's something you're passionate about because obviously it's, it, it's, it's <clears throat> well, the profession, it's the hobby, it's the mm -hmm, life mm -hmm. uh, for you. And uh, there's no doubt things you've seen that, let's be honest, annoy you that, that, <laughs> That's a good word. that, that people believe or think and maybe a small segment <laughs> of dog trainers uh, follow mm -hmm. uh, for that. Uh, so you want to come out here right now and let people know what, what are the truths and stuff that you follow and stuff that they should make sure if they don't utilize you, they're at least making sure that their dog trainer is utilizing. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And there's so many Oh, there's so, gosh, how do I say this eloquently? <laughs> there's so many myths that are out there, and I, I, some of them just will not go away. I think there's a lot of them that are stuck in people's heads from possibly when they grew up when dog training was maybe in a different place um, that they've heard over the years. And, you know, it's hard for all of us to take in new information and process it and utilize it. So I think... Um, maybe if we can kind of dispel some of the myths that are out there, it will help people kind of move forward because dog training is in such a cool place right now. You know, there's, I know I've talked about this multiple times, but there's a lot of cool science behind what we do. Um, you know, we used to train dogs because grandpa did it or the neighbor did it, or, you know, this is the way we've always done it. Um, but you know, there's a lot of things we used to do that we don't do anymore. <laughs> and dog training is the same way. You know, it's a field that has, progressed and there's just oh it's just such a cool time to be in I think the training and behavior world of any animal because people are just doing some really cool stuff in um, both in research and both in you know the veterinary behavior world in the shelter medicine world in even just the the zoo world I mean there's just some really cool stuff that's kind of happening so the goal today is I'm going to, I'm going to try to address five of them. I don't know if I will get to five of them because <laughs> you know, Scott, I can talk. So, um, <laughs> well, we'll, hopefully we'll get through three or four and then we'll save some of them perhaps for a future episode or possibly multiple future epi episodes, um, about some myths. Cause gosh, there's so many of them. Um, I feel like some of them are kind of 
slowly starting to fade out of the picture, but I think there's a lot of them that are still out there, so we'll, we'll dive in. So yeah, all right, are you ready? <laughs> so let's start with one that is, oh gosh, I hear a lot. Um, and these are ones that <clears throat> not only I hear when people come in for classes or like behavior consults or or whatever it might be, but my staff hear a lot as well, whether they are assisting or helping with class or they're in daycare or whatever it might be, or the groomers even, I mean, our whole staff of groomers. So the first one I want to talk about is is the myth of reinforcing fear. So, you know, what we hear a lot of the times, and this is quite, I think, um, appropriate for this time of year as we head into thunderstorm season and, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, potentially bad weather season where there's thunder and lightning happening outside. Um, what you're going to hear a lot is people saying, well, don't you can't you know, coddle your dog when there is thunder. You will reinforce fear. And my gosh, we hear this in so many contexts, whether it is the dog is scared of a person, the dog is scared of a cat, the dog is scared of an environment, the dog is scared at the veterinary office, the dog is scared of grooming. I mean, you could kind of fill that blank in with any sentence, I guess, that your dog is fearful of X. So everyone can kind of think of something in the back of your head. If you think about, you know, my dog is f scared of, you know, something. So let's say, let's take, you know, maybe thunder, thunder or, or fireworks or something, because gosh, that, that circles back a lot of the times once 4th of July comes, but let's talk about that. So, so there is the myth out there that if your dog is scared of something, you shouldn't coddle them. You shouldn't, you know, give them any kind of, um, a food, like food reinforcement. Um, you shouldn't, um, you know, comfort them when they're fearful because that will, the myth says that you, that'll reinforce their fear. But let's just put that to an end. <laughs> let's just bury that right now because you can't reinforce fear of another creature. Um, so let me give you an example. So let's say, Scott, you are scared of snakes. Let's say it's a lot of people are scared of snakes, which I actually hate to use that example because I like snakes. And my, my eight-year-old niece and I tried to catch a five-foot bull snake this weekend. <laughs> um, so um, let's say you're scared of snakes. So <clears throat> you are in the presence of a snake. I'm going to ask you, you know, Scott, I'm going to put a snake on my desk and I'm going to say, Scott, can you look at the snake? And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's a scary thing. And I say, cool, I'm going to give you 20 bucks for looking at that snake. Um, I'm going to bring it out again. Here, Scott, here's a snake. And you go, oh, my gosh, it's terrifying. And I'm going to give you another 20 bucks. Well, so let's say we do that, you know, five to 10 repetitions. So is my $20 reinforcing your fear of snakes? I mean, no, right? You're no, I do want to point to me. I do have a death fear <laughs> of snakes. So if you want to bring a snake but pay me $100, hmm. I will gladly pass out here as long as you put the $100 in my wallet. So, so that brings up a whole other, you know, um, uh, procedure of keeping you under threshold so you don't pass out. <laughs> we would start at a distance with the snake. We'd ask you to look at it. We'd give you 20 bucks. So, <laughs> so my point is that I, if I, if I bring a snake, you're looking at a snake in a cage and you're scared and I add some kind of, um, I associatively pair that with something good. Um, I'm not reinforcing your fear. So me giving you that hundred bucks in the presence of the snake is not making you hate it more, right? You're not going, oh my gosh, no, I really hate that snake because I was given $100 when it was there and I'm reinforcing my, it's reinforcing my fear. So you can't reinforce fe an inherent emotion of another creature. 
and it's it's almost like uh, presumptuous of, of of us as humans to think that we can reinforce the fear of another creature i mean it kind of goes to show how much we humans think we have control of emotions of other creatures and that's a whole nother like topic that we could talk about so so when your animal is scared of something oh my gosh comfort them <laughs> i mean there is not a wildlife a creature out there in this universe that if they had a an offspring that was scared of something they would say yeah just figure it out like you're fine you know there's 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 you know the example that we started off with you know there's thunder in the area um, I'm just going to put you outside and let you deal with it. I mean, that's flooding and that creates that learned helplessness that we had talked about with, I think we have talked about the Seligman experiments back in the 60s um, of that that um, kind of learned helplessness. So yes, oh my gosh, if they're worried about something, comfort them. I mean, that's why we have creatures and we love them. <laughs> so so I'll give you an example that I that I hear a lot. So a lot of dogs are fearful of humans, let's say, coming into the house. So one of the procedures that we use is this classic counter conditioning procedure where the sight, we make it very predictable where the sight of a person means that something really good is going to happen. So, for example, Scott would walk in the door, the dog might bark at you, they might do barky lungy behaviors, and you would toss food behind them. So one of the procedures that we use a lot is kind of this this treating um adding something positive behind the dog so they they we don't have that social pressure of them having to come up and take it from the person and so a lot of people will say okay heather well scott walks into the house he's going to throw food behind the dog aren't we reinforcing that dog's fear of him but we're not <laughs> we are classically counter conditioning we're changing that dog's emotional response to that trigger so so even because that dog is barking when someone comes into the house and you are adding something positive into that equation, that is not reinforcing fear. That is changing an emotional state that that learner is in in that moment to something better. So the goal is eventually that dog understands that people come into the house that really good stuff happens. Like every time Scott comes to the house, like liver lands behind me. That's fabulous. Scott should come over every day. So you can't reinforce fear. Now, there you can make it worse. So... Scott's example with snakes. Um, we might have to do a classic counter conditioning procedure, Scott, with you with some snakes. We can. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> We'd have to find. Well, and I think Scott alluded to um, that in the presence of the snake, twenty bucks might not cut it. Like he's got to go like a hundred bucks, <laughs> and so that 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 is so true too. We have to find something that we pair that scary thing with that is worth it to our learner <laughs> so um you know we, we all think about the reinforcement that we would we would like <laughs> versus the things that we go nah, i don't care it's okay so we need to find something that that we can pair that is valuable to that learner so you can make it worse so if scott you know we use the snake example um, and I apologize to all my herpetologist friends <laughs> and my master naturalist friends <laughs> because we all know we like snakes. Um, but in the presence of that snake, if you were scared and every time you saw the snake and I added something aversive into that equation. So every time you saw the snake, I, you know, if you had a leash around your neck and I popped you on that leash, well, that's not going to make your fear of snakes go away. That's going to make you think, holy cow, every time I see that snake, something bad happens. Like now I really don't like it. So you can make it worse. However, you can't change an inherent emotion in another creature um, to reinforce that. I mean, fear is such a respondent behavior um, that, that we have. And so we can change it. So, so 
you can't reinforce fear. It is absolutely totally okay when your dog is scared of something to advocate for them. My gosh, um, you know, they're scared of, um, let's say, um, you know, your, your, um, a lot of dogs, when you walk in the fall or, or in the like Halloween season, a lot of people have those like floating Frankensteins that are driven by a blower and they kind of float around in someone's yard. Like that's kind of scary for them sometimes. Um, and by letting them kind of stand at a far distance and kind of check it out and kind of reassure them like, you're fine. Yeah, it's cool. We can walk up. Maybe they'll eat food. Um, you're not reinforcing their fear. You're, you're just helping them kind of cope with a trigger that might be kind of scary for them. So um, that is a, a big myth that's kind of out there. So yes, and, and I know that most people in their heart, they think, oh my gosh, my dog is worried. I, I you know, should I be coddling them? And you know, I mean, coddling, that's not really a, a you know, technical term. So that could mean a lot of things, but, but we do want to create confidence, but, but we also, if your learner is scared, like it is okay to say, Hey, I know you're worried. It's, it's, we're going to be okay. So you can't reinforce fear. So let's um, kind of shove that one under the table. (laughs) And most, you know, as we talked about before, Scott, most like fear-based issues in dogs look like aggression. I mean, you know, barky, lungy stuff um, looks all of that, most of that, I would say, is fear-based. And so something that might look kind of scary um, that people think is maybe a mean dog, the roots of those behaviors are very, very deep and rooted in fear. And so um, a lot of the things that you see are actually fear behaviors that we see in dogs. So so yes, when your dog is worried about something, it's okay (laughs) to comfort them. I mean, I think any creature that loves another creature that is, is, just kind of something that we do naturally because we are nurturers and we have animals because they, they, um, um, because we love them. So, (laughs) so you cannot reinforce fear. So that is our number one that we are going to bury right now with a giant shovel, um, is the first one. Um, so the second one I wanted to talk about and this one, I I think this one maybe has kind of gone under the table a little bit. Um, but a lot of people say, well, you know, I have an older dog. They can't really learn much because they're six or they're seven or they're eight. Like it's the whole adage. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, but that as well, you know, and we've talked about this a lot. I know I kind of overlap in a lot of the things that we've discussed. But but learning is learning. Whether it is an eight-week-old Pekingese puppy or you have a, you know, 12-year-old, which is a very senior Newfoundland. Um, learning is learning. And because they are older, it doesn't mean they can't learn new stuff. It doesn't mean they can't change the behavior. Now we know that learning skill work, like a sit down stand and those kinds of things, those are skills that can kind of be taught at any age. Behavior is a little bit more rooted in emotions. And so that might take longer to train or to to change. I shouldn't say train because behavior is really a kind of, we slowly change (laughs) what their behavior looks like. But um, yes, you can absolutely teach older dogs new stuff. Um, and in fact, it's so good for their brain just just from a you know cognitive point of view to be able to to teach them new things and keep their brain sharp. So even if your dog is older, they can learn new stuff. We had a years ago we had a 12 year old cattle dog mix in class and it was kind of cute because he had just adopted her and you know kind of said, well, you know I really want to kind of work on relation on our relationship. you know she's had, 12-year relationship with other humans in her life Um, and they took a class and man she was a rock star (laughs) I mean she came into that class and she and this was skill work you know just kind of you know go to your mat 
um, greeting behaviors, recalls, and things like that. But any dog can learn. I mean, eight-week-old puppies are little sponges. I mean, they're just constantly learning from their environment. But old dogs as well, you can teach new things, um, you know, over and over and over again. So, so um, regardless of your dog's age, you know, they still can learn stuff. I mean, learning, the way that learning happens is the same whether it is a 10-week-old puppy or, again, like a 10-year-old dog. So learning can occur at any age. I mean, there's no, you know... Um, you know, limit, I guess. I mean, gosh, you know, humans, look at humans. I mean, you know, we are, both of us are still learning. I mean, there's, there's always learning to be had. So, um, so old dogs can always learn this new stuff. I took my, um, I had a, uh, dog named Scout, a flat-coated retriever. And I remember taking her into the rally ring when she was 12. <laughs> um, and she had just learned how to do rally obedience. And I was like, oh, this will be fun for her. And she loved it. You know, she was 12. She'd never done it before. She'd done obedience, like competition obedience, but um, she thought it was like the best thing ever, you know, her first time in the rally ring at 12 years old. I mean, that was cool. <laughs> so yes, you can. And I think that one has kind of died. I would say that myth has, has kind of gone away. So that's our second one. So you can teach an old dog new tricks. Absolutely. So our third one, um, is that you need to, you need to be dominant over your dog. And I know this one we've talked about Scott and this one keeps me up at night <laughs> Because, man, does this go back to the 60s, the 70s, the 80s? I can't believe it is still lingering. You know, we talk about, well, dominance, I think we should do a whole episode on that. Actually, we'll have to, I'll have to um, designate an entire episode to talking about dominance and putting some of those myths to rest. But um, a lot of people say, well, in order to have a good relationship, you have to dominate your dog. And so when we look at what that means, a lot of people think that, dominance means that you have to kind of control everything in your dog's life. And it's really interesting when people say that to me, because if you think about the way that we live with our dogs, they don't get to make any choices. (laughs) I mean, if you talk about a relationship that is just inherently controlling by nature, that's our relationship with our dogs. And I think that's why there's such a huge movement, um, to allow dogs to have choice and to allow dogs to go on sniff walks and have them advocate for their own choices. Because if you look at what their world looks like, inherently, we are controlling everything. I mean, it's interesting when people say, well, I need to be more dominant or need to dominate my dog. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you're, you, you tell your dog when they're going to eat. You tell them what they're going to eat. You tell them when they're going outside. You open the door for them. You tell them when they're going to the vet. You determine where they're going to walk, how much water they're going to get that day, um, who their friends are going to be, where they sleep, what time they get up, what time they go to bed. I mean, (laughs) it's kind of, if you think about it, like mildly dysfunctional how much control we have over their lives. So when people say they need to be more dominant over their dog, it's utterly ridiculous because we we have to do everything for them. I mean, they don't have opposable thumbs. They don't feed themselves. Um, you know, people will say you need to go out the door first and and you need to eat first. And all of those things really have no, there's no evidence that any of those things will make your relationship with your dog better. What will make your relationship with your dog better is being an advocate for them, is giving them some choice and some consent in some of their learning. Um, and so there is no need to be dominant over your dog. And, and unfortunately, when people say that, they often resort to kind of physically manipulating the dog, you know, scruffing them and alpha rolling them and things like that. And 
the science tells us over and over that there is not a dominance relationship between humans and dogs. <laughs> I mean, that was debunked, you know, multiple times. And so in our relationship with our dogs, I mean, it, it dom and dominance is such a fluid things, a fluid behavior within a group of dogs. Um, but we're not dogs. Like we are a totally different species. That relationship of dominance does not exist between dog and human. Um, so that, oh gosh, Scott, that one, I could just, oh, let's just hammer that one away <laughs> and bury it very deep. Um, <clears throat> because again, if you think about the, our world that we live, we, we kind of control everything in their lives. I mean, if you look at from the moment you wake up, where are you going to sleep? Most of, a lot of dogs. Um, you know, what time are you going to go out, what you're going to eat, when you're going to eat, what bowl you're going to eat of, where you're going to pee, where you're going to walk, who your friends are going to be, what time you get to see your friends, how long you stay at home, um, you know, when you're going to get veterinary care, who are you going to get veterinary care from? I mean, my gosh, it's, it's, it, and, and your dog didn't choose to live with you. <laughs> you know, we chose them. So we already have a fairly controlling relationship with our dogs, I think. And so the best that we can do, I think, is give them a little bit of consent of taking them out somewhere where they can do natural dog behaviors and smell and sniff and roll in dead stuff and be dogs. Um, because we, we kind of confine them to these, you know, urban settings oftentimes where they don't get to kind of do natural dog behaviors. So that one is a big one. So there is absolutely no need to be a pack leader or an alpha or dominant, dominate your dog. Those things are just dead. They're, they, have really zero place in your relationship with your dog. Um, and unfortunately, like I said, there's a lot of information out there that says this is what you need. And that often leads to um, physically manipulating the dog, grabbing them, scruffing them, using aversive methods. Um, you know, I'm going to tell you I need to be more dominant over you. Um, and if you think about it, gosh, your best relationships with any other creature in your entire life are just based on trust and consent and advocacy. And <laughs> um, and I think like the best gift we can give to our dogs is just those things. So um, there's utterly no need to be dominant over your dog, whatever you think that that looks like. Um, our, our relationships with our animals, with any animal, should be mutually respectful um, you know, it's kind of give and take. Um, Dr. Susan Friedman, who's one of my mentors and, oh my gosh, like the most fabulous, amazing human. Um, she has a quote that I, uh, in a class that I took with her that says, you know, a dog, I think it's actually up on my bulletin board. Um, dog training is, should, is not something you do to your dog. It's something you do with your dog. And oh my gosh, that's so true. Um, I think Dr. Ian Dunbar has a quote like, um, training should be like dancing with your wife. It should be fun and you're kind of moving together and, and you know, getting information from one another. So, um, so that is our number, th number three. <laughs> um, that's our number three myth that I would like to bury today. Um, <clears throat> so let's see, I have a whole list in front of me, Scott, let's pick, um, one that isn't going to be as intense as that one. Cause I get a little worked up about, you know, the dominance thing. Scott. Say, I have time for probably one more, <laughs> one more. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about, um, playing tug. Cause I think that one comes up a lot too. And this, this hopefully I think that this one is kind of dying. So, you know, there's a, there's a myth out there and this kind of goes back to that whole like dominance hierarchy, you know, kind of philosophy and dog training. Um, a lot of people say, don't play tug with your dog cause it makes them aggressive. Um, and I still hear this quite often. Um, you know, don't play dog, don't play tug with your dog. It's going to make them aggressive. Um, tug does not make your dog aggressive. <laughs> 
Um, it's a fabulous game to play with them. It is a game that's kind of a give and take. It's a great energy burner. Um, it is something that you can kind of do together. So when you're playing tug with your dog, it's not you against them. It's kind of you and them against the, you know, the rope toy or whatever you're tugging with. Um, and tug can become such a fabulous reinforcer for so many things. You know, we talk about reinforcing with food, um, reinforcing with um, then allowing them to go sniff. But playing tug is a fabulous way to reinforce things. And if you ever go to an agility competition or Asian co even competition obedience, um, uh, tug is a huge reinforcer for those dogs. And it's, it's something, it's a learned um, reinforcer. So they've learned to play tug. Um, as a fun game. So we are, are huge advocates of playing tug. Um, and, and I think kind of to caveat that, you know, when you play tug, there's an appropriate way to play tug. Like you want to teach the dog to out, you know, trade. Um, you also want to be really cautious of, you know, spinal health. Um, and so I just, from my knowledge of gait and structure in dogs, <laughs> I'm always kind of an advocate of not like really hardy up and down up and down but more like side to side keeping their front legs on the floor um and playing like a little bit little game of tug so um, playing tug is such a great way to to reinforce things um, once your dog learns to play it we can use it as a reinforcer um, in our come when called games that we do in all of our classes um, we really advocate that tug is a great way to reinforce that behavior because it's in motion. It's a, it's um, you know a, an active game that you can play. And gosh, once your dog learns that tug is really reinforcing, you can you can utilize it to reinforce a lot of different things. Um, now, there's some dogs. Obviously, if your dog is resource guarding, which you can go back and listen to that in episode eight, I think it was. Um, you know, we would be cautious in terms of teaching a really good drop with tug, so they don't resource guard whatever toy we might be using but tug is a great way to to play with your dog and you know going back to kind of advocating and allowing dogs to do natural dog behaviors tug is a natural dog behavior I mean if you watch dogs play with dogs they like to tug um, it's kind of a fun thing for them to do so it's a good way for us to use that game and it doesn't make them aggressive yes dogs will um, you know, kind of creep up in terms of arousal when they are tugging and they will do growly, you know, play behaviors. But that growling and that vocalizing, that's play when you're doing tug. Um, and, and so that that isn't concerning. That's just the dog like enjoying what they're what they're doing in the moment. So I really like that game as a as a as a reinforcer, as a good energy burner. Um, there's a lot of good ways to play it without ever being worried about creating aggression or whatever it might be. And again, I, I the only concern I would have with that would be dogs that are resource guarding or that arouse really, really quickly. Like some of those dogs, we like to keep them on the down low. And, and again, the more energy you put into tug, the more you're going to get from them. So those dogs, we might play like little tiny baby tug, work on drop. Little tiny baby tug, work on drop. So that's our fifth myth, Scott. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or fourth, I'm sorry. Our fourth myth um, to, to uh, put to sleep. So to kind of reiterate what we talked about. So you can't reinforce fear. That is, is a huge one. Um, so always be your dog's advocate if they are worried about something. Um, you know, the myth of uh, old, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Oh my gosh, you can absolutely teach a new dog new tricks, new behaviors, new skills. I mean, you name it. They can learn whatever you want to teach them. 
Um, you know, we sometimes have it clouded by some behavior history maybe, but you can always unravel that. Um, and, and, and then the whole dominating your dog, oh gosh. Um, there is absolutely, utterly no need in the era of dog training that we live in um, that you need to ever even think about dominating your dog. Um, you are building a relationship with another creature that doesn't speak your language that really should have no place in it. Um, and the science in behavior and learning um, will fully support this, that between dogs and humans, there is utterly no need to be an alpha or be dominant or whatever that means. That is, you know, a canid behavior. <laughs> then we are humans and the dogs are well aware of that. Um, uh, and then playing tug. So just a, um, a great game to play. It's not going to create aggression. Um, and so, so go ahead and play tug. I mean, it's a good spring, man. Go outside and get your tuggy rope out and do some, do some playing. It's a great way to reinforce behaviors. Um, and, and it's another tool in your toolbox of reinforcement too. So, you know, we use food, we use petting, we use whatever, you know, tools that we can to reinforce behaviors and playing tug is just one more way to reinforce that. So, mm -hmm. so those are my myths that we're going to bury today, Scott. And I have a whole nother list that we're going to have to like tackle at some point. <laughs>